welcome to the Veranda Entrepreneur Podcast. I'm Christine Mills. On the Veranda Entrepreneur Podcast, I feature entrepreneurs while I discuss ways you can grow your business today. Step onto the veranda, get a cup of tea, get comfortable, and let's talk shop. Let's do this. Welcome to the Veranda Entrepreneur Podcast. I'm Christine Mills. Today we have a really, I'm really excited about this guest, by the way. Her name is Melanie Barnett. And Melanie Barnett is an artist, activist, and authority on the cultural traditions and practices of art in the African diaspora and into her vision of the modern Black experience. Melanie Barnett is a founder of the Black Artists and Designers Guild, independent Black artists, makers, and designers. Her work has been praised in Interior Design Magazine, New York Magazine, Traditional Home, El Decor, HGTV Magazine, Lux and Design Magazine, and House Beautiful. Entrepreneurial spirit was captured in the New York Times bestselling book, In the Company of Women. Melanie's clients include Marriott, Viacom, Saks, WeWork, Avalon Communities, and the MetLife Building. Welcome to the Veranda, Melanie. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited, Joe. So um, before we begin, you know, I always like to get your uh, guests, and I see that you, you're from Connecticut, and we started that conversation before we went online. So tell us a little bit about you as a child and where you grew up and how your childhood shaped where you are today. Yeah, well, I grew up in a small town called North Connecticut, and I grew up by the beach. My mother still lives there, and my older sister is in a, a town nearby called Fairfield. Well, as a child, okay. you wouldn't believe it, but I was a serious tomboy. Like, really? <laughs> serious. Like, I was not interested in anything related to, quote, unquote, being a girl. Like, I remember my sister would try to pay me to wear a skirt. I just wanted <laughs> to play sports and, and, and play in the mud and, you know, <laughs> climb trees. And, you know, but I also had a very, um, I had a fun childhood. Um, we had a yard, and I was exposed to music and art at a very young age because my mother was a classical pianist. And oh, wow. She, yeah, my mother came from St. Vincent to the U.S., and she came as a classical, she studied classical piano. And she wanted all huh. of her daughters to experience that. So, you know, so I started playing violin first and then the piano. And um, I eventually gave that up to do art. Nice. Well, I guess they all kind of merge into each other, right? Art, it's true. whether it's music or, yeah. So you're using the same part of your brain. So Norwalk is actually one of my favorite towns in Connecticut. Um, I, I'm originally from South Florida um, by way of Jamaica. And um, we oh, lived in Hartford. My husband's from Hartford. I yeah. think that's the Jamaica. My father's from Jamaica. <laughs> Oh, okay, okay. So we actually have two. Uh, before with this interview, I thought of two things we had in common. We had three things in common. One is that <laughs> yeah. we both lived in Connecticut. You know, like we yes. both lived in Connecticut. Um, actually, four things. I used to live in Brooklyn as well. Um, oh, wow. And then we're both from the Caribbean. And mm-hmm. my mother named Cynthia. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> Yeah, that is like, 
<laughs> so my mom's name is Cynthia as well. So yeah, a lot of similarities. <laughs> OMG. So yeah, Norwalk, Mm-mm-mm. it seems like a really nice place to, it's very scenic and beautiful and it's a really beautiful yeah. town. It is, it is. Um, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm glad I, I grew up there because it actually, um, I appreciate the suburban life, especially after living in the city. You know, I'm in Brooklyn, but you know, it's like a kind of a mix of the suburbs and the city. And uh, so I have a high appreciation when I do yes, go out to true. Connecticut. <laughs> right, right. It's, it's very, um, like, growing up in South Florida and you'll watch the sitcoms and you're like, you know, the opening scene, they show these these homes. And yeah. I used to grow up like, oh, where are these homes that they're talking about? I've never seen homes like that, these <laughs> nice colonial. And then when I moved up north, I was like, oh, so this is what they were showing on Growing Pains. <laughs> 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 the South Florida. From an understanding of your background. So what schools did you go to for art? Did you start doing art like when you were in middle school? When did you start exploring um art beyond Well my art it's funny, my art um started when I was in the third grade. I was, okay. I was expo- yeah, I was selected for an artistically talented program. And we were able to draw and paint on a weekly basis. And, you oh, know, nice. it continued. Yeah, it continued from there. But like I said earlier, um, I was playing the violin and the piano. And during the, when I got to high school, um, you know, you weren't able to take both music and art. So I had to choose. And that's what, in 10th grade is when I decided to, you know, drop the violin and pursue painting, you know, art class. And I really focused on painting at the time because um, that's what I knew. And I applied to art school. I had a very supportive art teacher, uh, Mary Quinlan. And um, she's still in my hometown, and she's friends with my mother, so mm-hmm. we're still connected. And, uh, you know, she really helped us, like, create a portfolio. And she was like, you're going to art school. And she got us ready. Oh, and I, Yeah, it was really good. So I went to SUNY Purchase first to study painting and photography yeah. in Purchase, New York. And then after that, yeah, and then after that, I actually transferred to the Fashion Institute of Technology in New York City, and that's what brought me into New York. Well, that's nice that your your uh, parents are very supportive of, you know, your interest in art. Yes. It was something that was encouraged. Very much so. Very much so. Um, I'm glad my mother, she was an educator. I mean, she's retired now, but... You know, she really believed that uh, for her children, they had to figure out what their calling was. And, you know, she created a, a space and foundation for us, for us to figure it out on our own. Right. That's awesome. And um, so you recently wrote an Instagram post detailing your journey to a profitable artist and entrepreneur. Uh, tell us about how you manifested that vision into reality. Mm, I think it's about um, really focusing on what it is that I wanted to create. And I say this for any artist. I mean, we're going to go through different um, disciplines or mediums and products. And and the thing is that you have to decide for yourself, you know, what is it that really, you know, energizes you when it comes to Mm -hmm. being creative, you know? And um, I really, I realized I only wanted to focus on, you know, creating things that I really love to do. And I mean, it's taken a while to get there, but I, I feel that by staying focused on what it is that I love, that's what's helped me to be in the place that I'm in right now. Right. 
And you have decided to also specialize in carpet design, which is very much a niche um, part of the business. How did you um, how did you go about deciding to do that? As well as how were you able to successfully scale your business and you know garner such major clients such as Marriott, Viacom, and that? I tell you, it was a lot of work. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> but you know. <laughs> I, I was exposed to carpet design and F, when I was at FIT, we had a carpet design class and um, that's when I first learned about it because, you know, think about it. How many people do you know who make carpets or design carpets? It's not something you hear. Oh, I just, I, exactly. But it was a class that, you know, really showed me that, oh, you could use, you could use art, you could um, incorporate color, there's texture, it has a three-dimensional element to it. And then many people could experience it. And that was very intriguing to me. And, you know, soon after college, after my first job, which was a textile designer, I got a job as a rug designer at a manufacturer. And then I learned about the business. And I was still interested in in learning more. But I also wanted to have my own voice. And, of course, you know, when you work with corporate, you don't necessarily get to um, express um, your creativity the way that you want to. And so mm-hmm. when it was time for me to, to to start my own business, I decided, you know what, I'm going to focus on carpets, and um, but I want to do it from my point of view, and I want them to be artistic and have a cultural relevance. Um, and you know, I, I'm very interested in handmade, and so that's why I work with um, weavers in Nepal and India mostly. And you know, I look at carpet as a, a, another form of art, um, but it's functional art. Right. So is it a lot of pitching um, for you to uh, get the clients, um, like Marriott? Do you uh, pitch your work and then? Well, there's a lot. It's a lot involved. You got. We have to understand. Okay. (laughs) But you know, to be honest, this is this goes for any product, whether it's carpet, but selling to the interior design trade, Um, it, it involves a lot of marketing and knowing who you want to target. And then also, once you understand who you want to target, you have to understand how are you going to get to those people. Um, you know, in the industry, there are many trade shows. There are many opportunities to network. And what I did was I networked like crazy for mm-hmm. many years, going to every event, reading the magazines, figuring out who are the decision makers, you know, and then starting to ask people, oh, who do I need to know, what events I should be, and blah, blah, blah. And it's taken years, you know, mm-hmm. to have these name brands on um, in my portfolio. Um, it didn't just happen overnight. Right. Um, but it's been a constant networking and marketing over the past 10 plus years. Wow. Yeah, you know, people always say, show me an overnight success. That person's been working for 20 years to get exactly. point. So I'm happy you brought that up. That is so true. Um, and, you know, I like that the fact that you have ability to be like very historically artwork, but you can make it very mainstream for your clients. How are you able to balance the two? Well, I'll tell you, it's a challenge, you know, because a lot of the custom work that I've done for clients, it may not necessarily be what I want, but what I realize is that I'm I'm, I'm a vessel to – um, to, to the creativity behind my work, and I'm actually helping people visualize something that they are not able to do, and that's mm-hmm. why they're calling me. 
And so the work that I do for those clients, you know, I do it, but I mean, I I don't necessarily um, love every pattern, I'll be honest. But, you know, that's part of, that's part of the job, you know, being a, a rug designer and working custom. But what I've decided to do is I've taken more of a shift and taking more ownership to the work and deciding that, you know what, this is my voice, this is the work that I do, and now the designers come to me more for the work that I'm presenting versus me trying to translate their ideas. Right. And how long is the process, like, from beginning to end? You know, they like your design. Yeah. The process is months, actually. Um, okay. You know, because, you know, I'll just, just to give you a sample, you like the design, it's approved, then we have to go into production for sampling. And I order a 12-inch strike-off sample, which takes about four to six weeks, sometimes three to four weeks. It just depends on the time of the year and what the production schedule. That sample comes back, send it to the client, the client has to approve it. Then we go into production, and production could take between 8 and 12 weeks. That depends Uh on the size of the rug. So, you know, we're talking at least a three- to four-month process to get the rug. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, so, um, yeah, that is is a while. So they pretty much bring you in earlier on in the project. So when it's done, they're not waiting around for the carpet. Yeah, and people have to understand when you're working on custom um, products or, you know, not just rugs, it's custom. It, it's a process. Human beings are making it. There's also the possibility for mistakes. There's going to be delays, and but it's a part of the process. Right. That is true. So um, I see that you go to a lot of artist retreats and um, tell us about the importance of holding in your skills. Well, I think um, it's very important for me to learn different techniques. And, you know, we, all of us, we learn in different ways. And I I realize for myself, I do like to read books. I like to do research. But I also like to experience. And that's that's another form of learning for me. And I want to be able to say that I went to, for, for my last workshop, I was in Ghana, West Africa. And I have learned about different hand-building techniques, but, you know, and I thought that was great looking at beautiful pictures and reading, but I wanted to experience it working alongside the Mm -hmm. actual masters of that craft. And so that's why it's really important for me to, um, you know, travel and experience something first, have the hands-on experience. Right. And it it shows on your artwork. I mean, it's it's not just like some cliche. You you really give the background of it and the history of it, and it really allows people to connect even deeper on a deeper level with your artwork. And yeah, uh, speaking of which, that, you know, you do all this. Yeah, it is. And then also, like, the role social media plays on your business because you're able to showcase all your artwork. Um, your Instagram account is very addictive. I just love scrolling through the images, <laughs> and it's so well curated <laughs> and colorful. Um, how has social media increased your presence industry and broaden your customer base? Hmm. Well, I, I, thank you, thank you. I appreciate that. Um, uh, you know, social media is that tool that it's still, you know, one of those tools that we could, it's not, there's no cost to doing it. It's just putting in the work to create the content. And I'm just glad that I like taking pictures. But um, I think it's increased my presence um, to have more of a global audience. You know, I have people follow me all over the world. I mean, yeah. you know, which, again, um, 
how, you know, if, if that platform didn't exist, it would have been much harder to even discover me or to see my work. Mm-hmm. So um, we take it, you know, now, especially now in the time that we're dealing with with COVID-19, it's really connecting us with the world in a different way and, yeah. and that we're still able to be connected, you know. So I think um, in, in social media, I mean, in the social media as a, as, as a whole, but specifically Instagram, I think it's been very good for me because I'm able to share my journey through pictures, which is something that I'm very passionate about, which is taking pictures, you know, doing photography, um, and sharing, and just sharing in general. And Instagram has just been the perfect platform for me to share my story. Yeah. And you you don't just show your carpet design. I mean, you show these amazing paintings, these carvings, and um, it's really nice to see, like, the different disciplines you can work in. And you could showcase mm. in your Instagram account. Yeah, I think and that's the, the beauty. Yeah. The beauty of the platform. In the midst of all of this, <laughs> you've mm-hmm. been able to um, start your Black Artists and Designers Guild. You have numbers mm-hmm. such as Sheila Bridges, Daniel Colding. Um, how mm-hmm. did you go about starting the organization, and what is your vision for the guild? Well, I started the Black Artists and Designers Guild in the fall of 2018. Okay. And it was a directory. It still is a directory of black artists, makers, and designers um, throughout the diaspora. Majority of us are based in the U.S. We have some members in the Caribbean and Europe. And, you know, it's really about building a community and advancing a community of creative um, entrepreneurs focused on the interior trade business because it was a lack of representation um, and, and also a lack of uh, cultural representation and respect in the industry. It's been misappropriated for so many years. I wanted to have a, a collective that really um, told a different story and, and wrote the narrative based on our point of view and not what's yeah. been fed to us over the years of how things are mislabeled and, you know, how it's been interpreted and, you know, blah, blah, blah. You know, it's funny now because of uh, how we're all on the stay-at-home mandate that we all are forced to be to create virtual experiences and connect online in different ways. And I, it was something that I always wanted for the Guild because, again, we, we're an online platform. So that's how you were able to find us, go through the directory. But now, um, but we over the past two years, we've had quite a few events from exhibitions to, you know, mini conferences to talks. And, of course, now we're not able to do that, but we're able to do it online, and that's where we're working is creating experiences online and, and having um, a base for the organization to, to be the producers of these, um, you know, culture experiences, which is heavily focused on art and design. And then it will really allow us to connect with the Black diaspora um, just by sitting in our homes and the world to be involved in watching and participate. That'll be awesome. I mean, um, I I think so. It'll be more like an online platform for not just designers, but people who will like to purchase artwork and yes. can you tell us. Yeah. Okay. And what sure. other what other experiences like to see you walk through your design process, or would there be like an educational aspect of it? Yeah, those are some of the things that we, um, you know, as far as the educational. The visual of, you know, seeing process and studio, 
um, you know, learning more behind products, the making and everything. All of those things are, are something that we want to have. Again, it's about trying to figure out what to roll out first because, to be honest, we're a small team. And, right. you know, we're the members, we volunteer to do a lot of the work. I, I do a lot of the work. And, you know, I have different people um, helping bring these ideas to life. And we all have businesses to run. So, right. you know, we, you can have all these grandiose ideas, but it's about the execution. So I want us to be able to execute what we can based on, you know, who we have available to support it. Right. That makes perfect sense. So as a designer of color, how about challenges do you – I know you have um, the Black Artists and Designers Guild, but you have that part. But um, what challenges do you face as a designer of color? Well, it's, it's like, do we want to sit on the podcast for hours or? <laughs> oh, I mean, boy. it's kind of hard not to ask that question. You know, I I, I love interior design. My um my dad had a furniture business for many years, and uh-huh. when I was in elementary school, I'd pour over like Architectural Digest, and you know, I watched nice. TV all the time, and uh-huh. I've always loved design. Love love design. Um, but I do notice that, you know, a lot of designers don't really look like us. I mean, I'm not a designer, but mm-hmm. you don't yes. see a lot of people of color on HGTV or um, yes. a lot of these design shows. They're very mm-hmm. absent, but yet, you, you know, you guys are there. So how do you deal with color barrier in your work? Well, you know, the thing is, um, I think just being a black designer, you already you automatically know, it's like a built-in um, consciousness. You know, you're going to be looked at differently. You know, you're going to be questioned. You know, if you do this, um, especially relating to your culture or to the culture, I should say, you, you, you possibly may be questioned. So those are all given. But to put all that aside, I think um, for me as a black designer, I'm very proud of my heritage. I'm, you know, I have a lot of confidence. And what I don't know, I'm not afraid to say I don't know. So I have a very, um, I'm very focused on the work that I'm doing and I understand the purpose of it. So whatever challenges that are, I'm going to have, you know, from the outside world, I don't, I'm not going to allow it to, to, to steer me off track. Mm-hmm. You understand? Because I already know it's going to be a challenge. Okay. But that's a given. We live in, the, we live in America. So yeah, that's true. It's a given, okay? <laughs> Let's be real. But I only because I'm going to control what I can control, and I can control the narrative behind my work, and that's mm-hmm. what I'm going to control. Now, however you want to perceive it, how you want to accept it, how you experience it, how it affects you, whether it moves you or, or doesn't move you, that's all personal. But so, And I can't control that. My focus is creating the work that matters, telling the story, of not only not only of our ancestors but the ple- the present black experience, and so right now I'm using clay to do that, and that's what matters to me. That's awesome. Thank you, and thank, thank you. you for your work. Thank um, you. <laughs> and including that narrative, um, I you know also the Afro Caribbean narrative that you bring to. Mm-hmm. I appreciate that as well. Thank you so much. Um, and yeah. I got I got a chance to look at your Brooklyn brownstone. <laughs> Via Afro chick, <laughs> Afro okay. chic and the cut. Yes. I love okay. it. Um, 
And you talked about how you designed your home with turquoise and lavender. What was that process of gutting and renovating your home? Oh, boy, I tell you. (laughs) If I knew what I knew now, I don't know if I'd be doing that now. But it's a process. You know, it it was a process. Um, And like I said, this is, what, 12 years ago um, Mm -hmm. the renovation happened. And I didn't know what I know now. And it was was, – I've never experienced that before. Took every dime that I have in my bank account, <laughs> and um, you know. But uh, I mean, I'm glad I went through it, and I and uh, you know, I'm, all, I'm still interested. I'm still interested in going through the process, but I know what I will do and not do this like second time around. But um, I think what it is a renovation that we don't people are naive to is, is the time that it it requires and the money. Those are like yeah. two major things. And, um, you know, we can't look at TV and think, oh, that's what's going to happen. Oh, I'm going to have it done in an hour, just like these shows <laughs> show you. <laughs> right. You know, we talk, we, so now if I hear, oh, it's going to take two years or a year, I'm like, okay, that sounds about right. Yeah. Instead of, oh, it's going to be done in two weeks. This is not the truth. Yeah. So, so yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's true. I think, I think the design shows have given people a false image of what, or a false reflection of what it really takes to get yeah. your home completely redesigned and how much money yeah. that, I mean, you could get it done, but it's going to cost yeah. you. <laughs> yeah, and you know, it is, and, and it's still, for me, it's still not done. I'm, it's still a work in progress, but I think that's what homes are. They, they're constantly evolving because you, as a person, evolve, so your space needs to reflect the change in your life. Yeah. And, you know, you have to live in a space for a little while to really see what you need. You know, like I'm just starting to see, like, okay, I need more storage. Like, you know, so how's that going to happen? I mean, there there are options, but the idea is, um, you know, you want to be able to bring the things in your space that allow you to function the way your life functions because everybody's is different. Mhm. Yeah, my my dad, he's 81 years old and the joke in our family is that he's never done designing the home. Like every I remember every time I came to visit, like they're redoing yes. the kitchen, the living room, and he's uh-huh, like, "What? Uh-huh. And, you know, there's there's he's never done." But I mm-hmm. I think that comes with a home, like you're just never done, mm-hmm. and especially if you are a designer like yourself, I'm sure you're never done. No. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. But we are going into the rapid fire questions, and this is just okay. the time when all of our listeners get to know a little bit about you. And these are really light questions, but just to you know, know a little bit more about you as a person. So let's begin. So the first question is: I know you travel a lot based on your Instagram posts and you know all your <laughs> artist residences that you go to. Where is your favorite country at this point? Oh, favorite country? Oh gosh. Listen, I, I, I don't like to like narrow to one. I got regions. So okay. of course okay. the Car- course, course the Caribbean and West Africa. Those are like my regions right now. That's okay. those are my spots. That's fair. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. What would you consider to be your superpower? Hmm, my superpower, um hmm. I was going to say, it's not like, oh, creative, that's a given. 
<laughs> I think <laughs> my superpower is being a connector. Nice. I'm able okay. to connect people. Mm-hmm. All right. So what surprised you the most about being an entrepreneur? I'm sorry. You said what was the what? Say that again. What, what surprised you the most about being an entrepreneur? Oh, surprise me. Oh, my gosh. The amount of work is involved, and you just oh, yeah. money, money, money <laughs> all the freaking time. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> and what is your favorite business book? Ooh. Um, God. Well, can I be honest? It's been a while since I've read a business book. But I do it's listen. Okay. I listen to podcasts, and I like to read. So Seth Godin. The, you know, the famous marketer. I really enjoy his podcast, The Kimbo. Awesome. Okay. Uh, what's the name of his podcast? Can I forget? I'll, I'll look it up. Akimbo. 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 Okay. All right. And if you had a choice of someone to spend an afternoon with on a veranda, who would it be? Oh, God. Can I, I have a few husbands in my head. Do okay. I have to, like, choose one? <laughs> You can tell us three of them. You can tell us three of them. <laughs> I'm just like, well, you know, it just got to be there. Jai and Hansu and, and Morris Chestnut. Can I just have all three of them there? <laughs> <laughs> and he just has a, a corona, I hear. Yeah, but I think yeah. he's recovered by now. I think he's, he's recovered. recovered. Okay. Okay, so he could be on your veranda then. Okay. <laughs> Social distancing, you know, but all right. Um, you talk about your goal to build a home in the Caribbean. Which mm-hmm. islands have made the list? I know you're talking about the regions, but yes. have you decided on which island it will be? I haven't decided, but you asked about a list, Jamaica, Barbados, Grenada. Nice. Okay. And the last question is, biggest advice you can offer to someone who is aspiring to start a company in the creative arts? Buy a house first. <laughs> I'm dead serious. Buy a okay. house first. And then once you do that, once your home is secure, focus on one product, do it really well, and then build from there. Mm. Okay, so why do you say buy a house first, just out of curiosity? Because as an entrepreneur, it's very hard to get a mortgage. So um, put your money into your home first and then. And then because what happens is business is so uncertain. You don't know if you're going to make money. You don't know if you're not. Right. So at least if you're not, at least you want to have a roof over your head. That's true. And you're not caught up in the rent, rent, the rising Exactly. Yeah. Exactly, because it's an opportunity where, hey, if you need to rent a house out or something, you can still bring in some income. That makes perfect sense. Mm-hmm. That makes perfect sense. Well, thank you so much for joining us. I really, really appreciate this interview, and you have so you're such a wealth of knowledge. And I wish you all the best in your endeavors. Oh, and you. just just wanted you know the listeners to know how they could connect with you. Sure, they could go to my Instagram, of course. It's Malaney, M-A-L-E-N-E dot Barnett, B-A-R-N-E-T-T. And my website is MalaneyBarnett.com. So I look forward to seeing everyone. Perfect. Thanks so much. Thank you, Christine. Take care.